Good to be with you again. I guess I did all right the first time. Jason put it last time. Back. Let's see if that still stands after a day. Um, one of the more amazing things in nature has to do with stars. I promise you at some point in the near future we will be able to see stars. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it's possible, especially given what was this week, spring break. Um, it's true, we will be able to see them. And on a clear night especially, and I think Portland's actually pretty good for this, uh, if you're looking up, the sky will seem black and the stars just seem so close and so bright. It's almost as if you could pluck them from the sky. Precious jewels. But here's the amazing thing, aside from the beauty and, and everything and the light they give. The light that we're seeing is not just far away. It's also from a long time ago. You see, by the time that the, the stars that we're seeing, the, the light gets there, we're seeing what the stars looked like thousands, probably thousands of years ago. But when we're looking up into the sky, seeing the stars, we're experiencing that ancient light right now. And it seems, doesn't it, like, like that light has focused in on our present for us to enjoy right now. Almost as if it has just traveled for us to enjoy across space and time. So we're experiencing the star that has passed brought right into the present for us. That's my story. That's actually kind of where I'm going. It's not the whole sermon. Um, some of you look very relieved. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But uh, that, that's kind of where I want us to go as we think about Christ for us and his gifts for us from this passage. As we've highlighted both in singing in our scriptures, today is Palm Sunday. with a focus, And Palm Sunday has a focus on our welcoming and receiving Christ as he enters into Jerusalem. And recognizing our own need to receive him. But we're also in a time of preparation and readiness as we look to Easter. As we look to the resurrection of the Messiah and all the blessings and benefits that the resurrection gives us. So we're looking ahead, not past the resurrection and Easter, but we're going to look through it like a lens. And we're actually going to reflect on, because this is what Paul gives us in this passage in Romans, the second coming and the light of that thing's blessing for us here and now. The second coming as the consummation of all things. The second coming as the finality of Christ's victory and his transformation. And that second coming shines like a light for us, not from the past, but from the future into our life right now to shape us as a certain kind of people. So we're going to focus on the second coming of Christ and frankly, it's meant to stir us, maybe even to wake us and revive us, especially if we might feel a little bit in the dark, if we might feel a little bit cold in our faith. And how's this passage going to do that? I think there's two ways. First, we're going to see in this passage how we live as Christians today is given uh, direction by Christ's eventual return and the gifts of his presence now because of the resurrection which we look forward to celebrating next week, though we celebrate it every week. And then the second way that we're going to see this impacting is, is we're going to be challenged, I think, in one particular way to think about how we falsely view God and his own mercy and gifts towards us. And so that's what Paul wants us to believe. Really, that's what God wants us to believe 
and act on from Romans 13. Alright, so that's where we're going. We've heard it read um, for us. Now, the verses that we've heard read for us, they unfold as a part of a larger portion from this letter from Paul in Romans about how to live authentically by the Spirit as a follower of Christ. And it actually, this passage that we looked at, one I'm about to read, answers the question for us, do, do Christians believe in human sacrifice? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. So yes, we do, but it's a, a, a living sacrifice and it's us and we're, we're here right now. What does this living sacrifice look like? Well, it is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So from chapter 12 all the way up to our passage in verse 13, and really through the end of the book, the same light of Christ is what guides us. It's like Paul is saying this, look y'all, the world is going in one direction. This present evil age, as he calls it in Galatians, has a different vision, a different template of reality. A template that says that self-gratifying passion is the surest expression of what is good and right for you. A template of reality that says that attaining self-serving power, if possible, is where true life is to be found. So the world has another vision of truth and life. Matter is all that matters. The here and now is all that we have, and that's really all that counts. To put it another way, as the author Cormac McCarthy puts it, I think in Blood Meridian, your heart's desire is to be told some mystery. But the mystery is, there is no mystery. That's the world's take on reality. So what's another way of summing it up? Eat, drink, Tomorrow we die. And Paul says that take on reality. In verse 13, the world's view is not darkness. It's being asleep, not awake. But the Apostle Paul has something better for us. He has hope for Christians. He has hope for, for you and I. Because in Christ, the world has deeper meaning, deeper hope, real mercy. For Christians, light from the age to come, the kingdom of God, has now shone into the world with a human face in Jesus and has given us life, has woke us up. You see, one of the great mysteries of Christian existence is this, that, that the benefits of the world to come, which are highlighted in the second coming, things like the kingdom of God, heaven on earth, forgiveness of sins, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the rule of Jesus, a community called church, gathered ones, the called out ones, they've all happened now, right? All of that end time stuff has been brought into the here and now, and we get to taste of that by the Spirit now. But, this is the mystery, we do this in the midst of a dark, harsh, often graceless existence in the world. The experience of heaven starts now, but it's in the midst of fallenness. And Paul's saying in Christ, you and I, the people of God, are now going in a different direction. We're going towards the Father. 
who is the source of life. We have a different map of reality that mercy and truth is found in Jesus. We have a different view of life, that holiness is God's blessing. We have light in Christ. We are now awake in the Lord. Reality tingles with excitement, with truth, with beauty, because we are connected to the source of it in Christ. And so Paul calls the Romans in verse 14, and God calls us then, in light of this, to put on Christ as a response to being in Christ, so that we can continue on in the gift of life. Why does he tell us to do this? It seems like, well, if we already have Christ, why do we put on Christ? Because the real temptation is that if we live in a dark world, and we do, then the temptation is going to be, well, let's kind of live a little bit in the dark, okay? If we um, live in a sleepy world, the temptation is going to be, well, let's just sleep a little bit. See, the gravity of this age pulls us to cynicism or sensuality. Or the escapism of buying stuff or maxing out our experiences because of what others have or what we see them do. And putting on Christ breaks the gravity of darkness. It shines light into that flat view of reality. So if we're going to walk in light, that's what we're called to do. If we're going to live awake, if we're going to experience the future blessing of heaven, the second coming now, we grow in this by putting on Christ. So then there's the pregnant question, well, how do we put on Christ? Well, Romans tells us, and so I just kind of want to highlight a few of these for us by referencing this. Some of it we're able to lean into even right after this. So what's the first way that Paul reminds us and tells us that we put on Christ? Baptism. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might do what? Walk in the newness of life. That's resurrection power. That's resurrection hope. So in baptism... We are, and this is another sermon for another time, but let me just highlight what Paul's highlighting here. We are united to Christ. We partake in his very life. If you are baptized, we carry Christ with us by faith. You know, it's interesting if you read about the reformer Martin Luther. He had a, a pretty charged up way of talking about the Christian life. And he would say, just matter of fact, um, yeah, the devil tempted me and say, yeah, he tempts me. He's like, no, man, like the devil is in front of me, tempting me. And you can actually go to a place in Germany where there is a, an ink stain on the wall where he threw an inkwell at what he believed was the devil. But the way that he said that he would refute the devil whenever the devil was trying to, uh, you know, get him charged up and get him to doubt that what he was doing was really God's will, he would just say to him, I I'm a baptized man. Now he wasn't thinking about baptism mechanically as much as what baptism gave him. All of Jesus. Freedom of conscience. The washing away of his sins. And that's what Paul wants us to see about ourselves too. I'm just reminded of a story. A friend of mine who was a campus minister 
in Georgia had a student who, who came to him and he had tattooed on his arm, I am a baptized man. He said, why, why did you do that? Why did you have this big tattoo on there? He's like, because I wanted to remind myself whenever I'm tempted that I'm a baptized man. And my friend said, well, what about your baptism? Right? So, and you're supposed to laugh at that. No one laughs at that. I mean, it's true. He didn't need the tattoo. Tattoo's fine. But the baptism is really where God had embraced him. So one of the ways we put on Christ is through baptism. I will not tell that story again. <laughs> All right. What's the second way? Baptism, but also by prayer. All right. This is one of the ways we've actually been doing this through our service. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. And not only the creation... But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's this already not yet dynamic that is, you know, plays out in your own experience, but also in the Christian life. We have this thing. We're waiting for this thing. Right. And then he goes on in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But listen to this. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We groan, the Spirit groans. And some of you, that's exactly your experience. You have grown. You, you just have this deep longing, this need, this ache, and you're wanting to connect with God. You are connected with God, and you're crying out, and you don't even know what to say. And interestingly, the Spirit doesn't even, He translates it, but doesn't translate it. Because it is so, it is just racked you so, so deeply, so profoundly. And if that's your experience, know that even when, in, in that prayer without words and that longing that God is connecting with you, and hears that prayer and engages and shares in that groaning, in that suffering, whatever it is. But hear this also, that we have in prayer heavenly access to God. We have access to the throne room of God because the Spirit, by the Son. So I want to just ask you, this is a quick heart check. Do you pray like you're in the throne room? Or do you pray like you're in the waiting room? Yeah, I don't know if God has time or God cares. I'm just not, I'm not going to go. If you really believe you have access to the, the great creator of all things who has personally sought you out and made you a child, that should open you up and free you. Do you pray like God has you on hold? Or that he has a hold of you? He has a hold of you. He cares. God never has us on hold, but he always has us in his grasp putting on Christ continuing on in Christ that's how the light of the second coming can, continues to shine and bear fruit in our life how else do we do this well we do it like kind of what we're doing right now we put on Christ by the one another's of community Paul goes on just to kind of bullet point these in Romans chapter 12 we outdo one another according to verse uh, chapter 12 verse 10 we outdo one another in showing honor to one another we love one another Genuinely, uh, that's tough. We can all kind of fake it and muddle through it. But Paul's saying, God wants more from you. And he gives you the ability to love one another genuinely. Verse 13, how, what, how else do we put on Christ? We give to the need of other Christians. We're hospitable. And 
We don't take revenge. And revenge isn't just like doing something nefarious or crafty. I mean, sometimes revenge is just kind of mumbling about someone in your heart, kind of offering as an anti-prayer. Boy, I hope they get theirs. That can be tough for us. But you see, all of these ways that we've talked about and highlighted, and there's others that we put on Christ, all of these, when Christ comes back, prayer, fellowship, presence, the power of Christ will not be accessed by faith. They will be accessed 100% by sight. But we have access to them now by faith. Paul wants us to enjoy those future blessings now because we have them now in Jesus. And it's what's necessary for our life. Another way to put it is, the only way to be earthly good is to be heavenly minded. To be second coming minded, according to Paul. According to the rest of the scriptures. Alright, but there's also this. A challenge, I think, to a falsehood, I think, that we believe about God. Especially when we hear God's call to live lives that are free of jealousy and envy and sexual indulgence. We'll think, yeah, okay, God's deal is to say no to certain things. He calls things dark that honestly seem kind of bright, seem kind of shiny. And that's just what God does, right? It seems that way. We have this sneaking suspicion that he's a killjoy. I have joy. He's going to kill me for it. But that's not who God is. And I, I think there's even a step further that, go, that, that makes it even worse than that. Because we suspect that when God calls us to be holy, when he calls us to be more like him, that there is something that he is kind of erasing in us. He's turning us into something uh, weird. Ah, that's not us. That he's taking away something of our freedom, something of our personality, something of our authenticity. The meanness of who I am is just kind of getting washed away by the great wave that is God. And so we'll do things like this, or at least I know I have, where we will twi twist like uh, the, the words of someone like John the Baptist, where he said in one place, he must increase and I must de decrease. Right? And we'll think, well, more of God then means less of me, less of myself, less fulfillment, less personality, less questioning in my search for truth, less commitment to the enjoyment of beauty. And so we picture God as encroaching on our life instead of being the foundation for and grounding of our life. But of course, how do we know that's false? That is not true. That is not the God that exists. That is not the God of Israel in Jesus. John the Baptist, when he said that I must increase, uh, he must increase, I must de decrease, was simply talking about his own role in redemptive history. He was a prophet, but a prophet greater than him was coming along. But because of our own bentness of heart and mind, we go ahead and take this to mean something almost mystical where our unique personhood disappears and dissolves into God because God erases and takes away from us instead of builds into us. But it's quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Friends, it's good to remember, especially as we approach Easter, that God is not a taker, but God is a giver. He gave His own Son so that He could have us as daughters and sons. In fact, He gave us all of Himself. 
He doesn't intend for you to be some reduced, watered-down, plastic version of yourself, but instead He wants you to be robust, vital in terms of your gifts and your capacities, whether that's moral or intellectual. And He wants you to do this in service to Him. He wants you to be like Him, holy, but He wants you to be you as He's made you. So now, when we find ourselves caught up into God's very life, partaking of His divine nature, as Peter says, by trusting in Christ, by being united to Him, He doesn't shrink us, He doesn't minimize us, He doesn't squash what is good or true or noble in us. Rather, He perfects these things for His glory. And really, it's only through Him that we're able to accomplish this. A friend and I, who's also another pastor, we were talking about this passage a while back. Um, and he made some good observations. He pointed out that when Paul calls out things like jealousy and envies and orgies, that um, these are honestly just the foul fruits of abandoning self-control in the areas of things like sex and alcohol and personal relationships. And all those things that Paul lists, they're, they're just shortcuts to things that we all long for, but we seek apart from God. So sexual immorality and sensuality is just false intimacy. False affirmation. Carousing and drunkenness is just cheap, fleeting joy. Quarreling and jealousy, it's your ego simply trying to find value and your worth in being right and making sure others know that they're wrong. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel stuck or painted in that corner. Maybe you feel kind of asleep, to use Paul's metaphor, a little bit in the dark, or maybe you're tempted to slip into that darkness, to fall asleep, to not put on Christ. Friend, the hour is here. It's always here, but I'm saying it's right here, right now. Christ is shining His light into your heart by the means of grace, by the people sitting next to you in the pew, by, the, the, by all the things that He has given us in Christ, all of these gifts. So come back if you fear yourself getting cold, living in the dark. Know His warmth. Know His kindness, His grace, and His renewal for you. He invites you to Himself. Let's pray. Lord, in Your mercy, we ask that You would help us. That You would help us to take what seems so ancient and far away, both looking behind us to the past and looking forward to the future, and see that mysteriously, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have access to all of your blessings and your presence now. Help us to be the kind of people that would look like Christ who would experience His life in our lives, lives moved and shaped by mercy and grace and hope and service for others and joy and holiness. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be the kind of people that You intend us to be and are moving us toward. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.